Welcome, 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 welcome everybody. We're starting out the show in an unusual way. This is unusual. It's strange. It's a little different. We've never started the show with just a welcome, a soft little welcome. So <laughs> it's different. But Spice is still here. Something's unusual going on. What What could, do, do we like strange? Do we like different? Hmm. Yes. The unconventional can offer new opportunities. So, yeah, welcome to the show. Welcome to the little show. The smallest, least listened to podcast that is recorded in our car. Just as true as our usual opening, in fact. Because it's the only, only podcast that yeah. is recorded in our car. Okay, welcome to the show. Today we're going to talk about something, someone, unusual, unconventional. Something that's just not spoken of very much something that's especially in prepper world where right. it's kind of a frankly it's kind of a click guys yeah. a lot of the people hold this similar kinds of ideas come from vaguely similar kinds of backgrounds uh, have somewhat similar sets of skill sets and attitudes and uh, resources very um very very closed world in many cases. Now, one of the things that we have set as one of our prime objectives at 3BY is to be inclusive. And we try to be inclusive. We want to be inclusive across the board. And one of the things we do as being inclusive is we look around and we see what people are doing. We see who's living the lifestyle and who isn't. Who's making things and growing things and frankly who isn't who knows how to get things done without the usual apparatus of society to help them get it done and what we're seeing with our eyes in our neighborhood in our part of north missouri in southern iowa because we're up near the border is a bunch of really different and unusual groups of people who anybody in their right mind would want with them if the world as we know it fell apart because they know how to do stuff without all the fancy stuff that we have. They're already living the life. Now, it's not going to surprise you that one of the first groups that comes to mind to us is the Amish. Because, well, I mean... And to a lesser extent, Mennonites. And to a lesser extent, the Mennonites, although they're much more... They use tractors and things, but they still know how to do a whole lot of things, and there's a lot of very capable people. Yeah, they can make things by hand. The Amish basically live like our ancestors did in the 1800s. By choice. They are... I mean, you know who the Amish are. Except on, you know, Friday nights when the Amish courting couples will take the horse and buggy out and meet at a predetermined place with the non-Amish couples in their car. Yeah. And they'll switch rides for the rest of the evening. Not that those ever happens. enjoys the uh, <laughs> ride of the other one. Right. And the farm boys from the outside community, they know how to drive a buggy. They're not going to tear the horse and buggy up. 
the Amish people know how to drive a car, and I'm not going to say they're not going to tear that car up, because I've seen a few of those. Well, so are the other teenagers, so yeah, there we are. Yeah, that's teenage stuff. No, seriously, you know, the whole, we're not going to, this is not a show on the Amish, per se, but the Rumspringa thing is a real deal, and it can get pretty crazy, let me tell you. We have some... Uh... That's when the <laughs> late teen Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Amish go out into the English, as they say, world for a while and to decide whether whether their commitment lies with the Amish community or whether they wish to break with the Amish community and join the larger society. It, they are supposed to make a free choice once they reach the age of consent. And right. in the course of that, that means they live outside the Amish bounds for a while and it can get wild because they're late teens and they're living outside their rules for the first time ever. And yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, you're going to, we're about to see our friends, the cow. We're driving through Des Moines in case you're wondering. They have a giant cow. The Anderson Erickson have a giant cow and a, and a giant calf. It's Anderson Erickson. If you're in Iowa, buy the, we have to remember to do that on the way home, buy their old fashioned cottage cheese. It is to die for if you like cottage cheese and we can't get it at home anymore. Anderson Erickson old-fashioned cottage cheese. Do not sponsor the show, but we like them <laughs> anyway. And then they have these, we're driving past the dairy right now, and they have these giant cows that we're going to see in about 30 seconds or 20 seconds. So this is this is a big moment for us. We here. They're still there. Can Cal you, and calf. Let's see if we can take a picture. Okay, let me pause this. Now, here's, here's one of the things I know that you don't know. Well, you may know, but I know that I know it. Those cows are plastic. Those big Anderson Erickson cows are plastic. But a lot, and I mean a lot, of the milk that was milked for that dairy right back there comes off of Amish and Mennonite farms. Mostly Mennonite. There's only a few Amish because they do have to, there's a, you do have to allow um, for mechanicalized milking and stuff like that. It's a, but, and a few of them do because they're, they're, I mean, if it's part of their business, they are allowed to do it. You know, and some of them do. Some of them are a little more modern than others. But a lot of Mennonites are dairy farmers. And the thing is, they know how to milk their cows with or without those machines. They know how to raise the cows with or without machines. They often make their own cheese. Oh, they oh, yeah. lots of good, cheese lots of good cheese. Oh here, my too. goodness! Yeah, goodness me! Yeah, and they almost all have ginormous gardens, humongous have gardens. roadside stands. But whether they do or don't, pretty much every household has an enormous garden. Salty's rule. Here's a Salty's rule. You ready for it? Don't buy goods from the Amish. Buy from where the Amish get their ingredients. Go to the place that they get their stuff from to turn around and make into the goods and sell to you. Because... So much of the stuff that we get available to us in the normal, quote-unquote, normal stores, they get as ingredients at their own supply system. Sold in bulk for very much cheaper. 
lots of uh, good kinds of equipment for doing things in unpowered ways. Lots of people who know how to do a lot of things, and they also tend to have a lot of little information booklets around uh, in those yeah, they got supply stores. Amazing book. How this. to milk a cow. You can buy a booklet. How to, milk how to build a chicken coop. Sure. You know, you're like, oh, well, well, you know, maybe we should look. To, I could look that up on the internet. Why do I need a book? Well, what happens if the internet isn't working? And we are driving. And some pa- of those people on the internet haven't actually tried this stuff too. Wells Fargo Arena, home of the Iowa Wild hockey team. Go wild! Go wild! We're big Iowa Wild fans. We're not really big Minnesota Wild fans, but we're big Iowa Wild fans. Go wild. So anyway, we've seen this part of town before. Pressing right along. One of the things I've noticed is that I've actually gotten a lot of uh, good uh, food garden tips from a a Mennonite woman who comes to the uh, farmer's market in my little town. She's a very, very nice lady, very friendly lady. Very nice lady. Good family. Good family. They're, they're good people. Now, I will tell you that these these groups, and you know, we don't do religion, but I will tell you that this is just a, this is a truth. These groups that we're talking about, the Amish and the Mennonite, they tend to deal with other people of their faith when they can. So, and this is fine. You know, this is good because they know who's who are trustworthy, and they know who are not because. So there's good people in every community, and there's bad people in every community, and they know who they are. There are fewer bad people in communities where there's community pressure that helps keep people towing the line whether or not their natural inclinations would have them be quite that honest. Right. And that's how it is if you are nestled firmly in a community and your reputation in that community is important to your business, you've got a lot more motivation to deal honestly and and gently with people, which makes them really great business people for everybody else to work with, too, because, you know, that's, that's how they do business. Now, we bought our cabin from uh, uh, bought it from a company that's owned and run by Mennonites. Knew this going in. And we needed some information, maybe uh, a small carpentry job that we were looking at getting done. So I called the cabin builder and I said, hey, you know, who would you recommend to do this? Is there anybody you go to church with that you would hire to do this if it were you were hiring it for your own? And he's like, well, there are several carpenters, but the one I would recommend would be, boom. So I called a friend of mine up there who's also a Mennonite, and I asked him the same thing. I said, hey, you know, we're looking for, is there anybody you, he said, oh, yeah, we have several, but the guy you really want is, boom, and it's the same guy. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And they're going to recommend the best guy. Why? Because it's kind of on them if they don't. Now it's tied up with their reputation. That's right. They're putting their reputation out for Europe. And you may think this is like, oh, whatever, because, you know, frankly, city people are different than country people. But this is a real deal in a, in a country. If you're in Princeton, Missouri, say, for example, and you mess somebody over, everybody, gonna know everybody about it, knows and you're about gonna it. Lose a lot everybody of knows about it. And you're going to lose business. Period. End of discussion. You can't do it and get away with it. 
you can't do it once and get away with it. It's not that they are probably inherently more honest. It's that they have better reasons to deal honestly with people. While true, I will tell you, their children are inherently better behaved <laughs> than, than normal, I say normal, but non-Mennonite and Amish children. Well, that's true, but I don't believe it's because their genetics are different. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's just not at all the culture they're raised in. That's the culture they're we raised in. We live up to our expectations in a lot of ways, and these guys know how to do a lot. And if you treat them like real people and not zoo exhibits, I've been embarrassed at the way I've seen some people treat Mennonite and Amish people that they've come into contact with when they don't do so often. You treat them like your neighbors. They make very good neighbors, <laughs> and you can learn a lot from them. I've learned a lot from them. Just. You know, I, I buy some stuff from the woman at the farmer's market, and she knows I have a garden myself, and I ask her about how to do things and get tips, and she's happy to help. Absolutely. And the stuff that she brings is good and fresh. And she'll tell you if it's not up to her normal standards, she'll price it accordingly and say, ah, yeah. it's what I have, but it's not as good as I would normally have, just so you know. Yep, the canning tomatoes come at a different price than the table tomatoes. All right, good to know. Okay, so, so those those are the communities that we're talking. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more. There's more. There's yep. more. But wait, there's but more wait. for your 19. 19- oh wait, it's free. You also get. <laughs> now I don't know how it is in other parts of the country. But Northern Missouri is <laughs> more diverse than you would expect, frankly. It really is. We have some of the uh, we have we have Amish. We have multiple groups of Amish who are co- follow kind of different different organizations. A whole we lot have, of Mennonites. We have a lot of Mennonites, and a most of the, most of them are the same. You know, basically, what happened is this: this was a generation of people who moved out of Pennsylvania because Mennonites tend to have really big families. And land only goes so far. And land only goes so far. All the land in their area of Pennsylvania was full. So as a group, they started looking, as a church, as a particular church group, they started looking throughout North Missouri where the land was readily available and fit their their needs. So um, I'll just pick a name just at random. Mr. Horst came out to Missouri and came out to Missouri 50 years ago. And Mr. Horst had six sons, and his six sons, three of them went into farming, and one of them went into auto repair, one of them started a feed mill, and one of them started a uh, tractor uh, repair company. This is just an example. I'm a, all right. Now, those were anywhere from 20 to 30 years ago. Now, they each had six sons. And this is not an exaggeration, by the way. Yeah. I know one man in the county I live who has 13 sons and six daughters. Yeah, I'm not even joking. So what I'm saying is all of these, it's kind of hard to explain, but all of, all of these people spread out and start filling more and more of the niches of the economy. But they keep the same sense of dealing honestly 
and they keep the old ways. They still sew their clothing themselves. They built their own community, basically. They build their own houses. They, you know, they're they're their own electricians. They're their own plumbers. <laughs> you know, our plumber's a Mennonite, and he's related to the guy who fixed the deer head on my car. It's his brother, and you know, it's just this I is bet how it works. At least second cousins with the woman who I get the vegetables from. That is, she is their aunt. <laughs> See, I had to I had to work it back because <laughs> she is Raymond Senior's sister. Okay, <laughs> it's a small town. It's a small community. Uh, but on the other end of the scale. But on the other end of the scale. We also have tree huggers, hippies, commune dwellers, uh, intentional living green <laughs> activists living in their own communities, which are not communes, by the way. They're just... Some of them aren't, yeah. Yeah. We have communes, and then we have intentional living communities that are set up to run along... Sustainable agricultural lines. Okay. And are nevertheless not the least bit communistic. We do not do politics on 3BY, and we make no judgments about people because of their political beliefs. Yeah, that was a description, not. Okay. So, but I have to throw a caveat in here. This is why we don't do this, because we believe. That people who are extremely conservative religiously, and you don't get much more conservative than Mennonites. These are, they're very, very Christian, God-fearing people. They build their entire lives around their church, okay? They're living right next door to some of the most left-wing, liberal, the word is hippie. <laughs> okay, they're not 1960s hippies, but they're, mod- they're people who are building houses out of straw because they don't want to be a part of the global warming catastrophe. They're doing what they feel I mean, they can to combat things like Global warming and pollution and resource depletion and overpopulation and they yeah they overpopulation for trying to, yeah <laughs> instead of having nineteen children each I mean you know so they have very different political beliefs and they're both good sets of neighbors they are they're great and they both know how to do things that most of us don't know how to do because they do it by hand and not only that but because both are inclusive, you can walk in the Mennonites grocery store and find fresh tofu and meat substitute products, essential oils, the whole shebang, because they live in the same community. And they (laughs) cross-pollinate, apparently, comfortably. Absolutely. They get along. They like each other. And the reason they do this is because they see each other's strengths and they don't concentrate on the differences. 
And neither side is trying to jerk the other side around. They're both attempting to deal fairly with the other side. Right, and they're, just tr- and they're just trying to live their lives. Now, there are some, some, there are some limitations. For example, it's common to go to a Mennonite business and see a sign. Um, ladies, when you enter, please dress um, modestly. Yeah. They don't want people walking in in bikinis and, and halter tops because it's not... They don't want that in their store, and that's fair. That's fine, because it's a private business. I mean, that's fine. Please dress modestly. You walk. They're in, not pe- talking about long skirts either. They no, they just, don't give you a hairy eyeball if you walk in in a t-shirt and a normal pair of shorts. But I wouldn't walk in there in hot pants or a bikini either. No. Please dress modestly, and I think that's fair. And you know, it may sound sexist. Why they just say it's the late? Well, guys don't dress that way anyway. <laughs> guys don't. They just don't dress that way and go into a store. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of the intentional living colonies around here were at least partially nudist. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Well, I know for a fact they are. Well, I don't hang around with them in the evening when they're not working. Working in the nude, by the way, is not really very much fun when you're out gardening and stuff like that. Especially not with skeeters around. And and (laughs) as much poison ivy as we got in the area. Now, I'm... You know, that, that's a matter of practicality. I, you know, I don't hang out with them socially a whole lot, so I, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. I really don't care. I want to do some, some uh, interviews and some talk. Okay, you're going to hear a lot more no- road noise here because the, we're driving between Des Moines and Omaha, and this road is horrible for road noise. It's got a whine that's just... Strange surface. Wow. And it's been this way since they put it in 20 years ago. It's better now when it's World War Down, but... Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get onto the show and get some interviews done with some of the intentional community people in our area because it's uh, really fascinating. Some of the stuff, and again, there are there are as politically out there as anybody, and more so than most. But, but it are. doesn't matter because what for. For what we're talking about, because they know how to do the things it is we need to do. You want to know how to produce food without artificial chemical inputs or make make housing that you can make without a Lowe's department store or actually make useful remedies out of these herbal plants that everybody's happy to point out are... Natural remedies, well, knowing a plant's a natural remedy doesn't get you to actually using it properly. Or finding it out there to, to, to use. And getting the right stuff. They're good at all that stuff. They're good at a, lot, at a lot of things. So they're good people to know and to deal with, and, and they are usually very happy to teach as well because that's part of what they do. They want to, they want to encourage people to be more self-sufficient. You know, there's there's times when I look at a at part of the prepping community, and I just want to ask them, what's your goal here? Is your goal to make you feel satisfied inside that you are the po- politically and whatever else superior, or is your goal? To actually learn how to prosper, no matter what the economic situation is, no matter what 
the weather situation is, no matter what the pandemic situation is, what's your goal? It's a very natural human drive to be comfortable around people who are like you and therefore to seek out people who are like you and to think that their views are better than everybody else's views. It's a very natural human trait. But what we're trying to do here is just point out that there are some places that are outside the traditional prepper community that have a lot of the resources and knowledge that are valuable to preppers. That's and right. if you will open your uh, commu- lines of communication with them, you can learn a lot. And they're, they're valuable neighbors. Do you know how to dig a well? Not just anybody can dig a hole in the ground and get water out of it, but do you know how to dig a well? One that will actually draw up fresh water that's good to drink. Now, in our part of the country, that's not very good because we don't have good groundwater, but a lot of, most of the country does. Do you know how to build a clay stove so that you can bake a clay oven, so you can bake your food and have it actually draw so the smoke goes out the top, the air comes in the bottom, and it breathes? Do you know how to do it? Well, these people do. Because they got one in their front room. Because they made it themselves. Do you know how to build a shelter out of non-typical materials? Can you take a big clay bank, which we have tons of, and several hundred bales of straw and end up with a house worth living in? Can you do that? These people can. That won't burn down. Somebody knocks a candle over. And that won't be turned into a rat-infested um, mess. Mold, mold home. You know, back in the day, a lot of people didn't know how to insulate with straw. And what you ended up with were houses that were insulated with straw that were just nothing more than giant mouse houses. Grew up in one. There you go. <laughs> There's the right way to do it. Do you know that way? I don't know that way, but these people do. Do you know how to keep cool in the summer without electricity? They'll be happy to show you because they'd rather have you do that than using the electricity. So, Oh, there, there's one more group for specialized kinds of skills. The reenactors. The reenactors. Yeah, see, we are just absolutely... We've got all this stuff. we got all the people. Yeah, we have... The communes, we have the intentional living communities, we got the Mennonites, we got the Amish. And you know who else we have? The The Vikings. Vikings. The Vikings. I kid you not. We have in North Missouri the only Viking long fort in America. And it's awesome. (laughs) And it's cool. And I'm going to tell you if you were in a Chatwaki situation, that's where you'd want to be. Yeah, Inside that Viking the, uh, the first of all, palisade. it's a fort. It's a fort. Yeah. It is an actual fort. Workable fort. They've never been attacked by anything, in my knowledge, but uh, it those, is a workable fort. Those sheep look a little... <laughs> a little sketchy? <laughs> yeah, they've got a long fort with a working um, heated heating and cooking hearth. They've got a clay's firing pit. They have a bunch of people who know how to do a whole lot of Viking crafts because that's part of their reenactment deal. Yeah, they uh, they put on the armor and uh, 
get the swords and the axes and things and the and the wooden shields and go whack on each other in non-fatal ways for fun and entertainment. But they also will spend their mornings sitting around chatting with each other, and some people are uh, firing some, some clay pots they made yesterday, and other people are uh, sewing together really good pairs of boots. Spinning using wool. nothing but straight up leather. Spinning wool. Yeah. The the old fashioned way, looming. Going uh, all the way from sheep to yeah, looming fabric. finished product and, and embroidery work and and weapons, blacksmithing, blacksmithing over a fire. weapons, the whole you name it, the whole entire and the reenactors, but they know how to do it. They live in the camp that have the traditional everything. They don't do this year round, but it's a community of interested persons who gathers a couple times a year. And these guys, they they meet for a full weekend twice a year. They probably do some other stuff, too, that I don't know about because I'm not a member. But they yeah. uh, meet for a full weekend every year, and one of those days they open to the public where they let you uh, wander around and uh, watch them do their crafts and talk to them about what they're doing and stuff like that. And then they do some weapons demos. Yeah, then they put on their armor, their handmade They know how to make handmade armor, okay? They put on their armor, and they get out their swords. And these aren't just play swords. These are real actual Viking steel swords. Yeah, they that, do blunt the tips so they don't kill each other. But other than that, the quality and uh, and build are traditional. I'd never forget. Well, I think it was last time we were out there watching them. And they were doing one battle line against another battle line. Some of these guys have big, big long spears. Now, the, the spear end is blunted, I'll say. But, the, you know, this is a six, eight, ten pound spear, whatever it is. And they're walking towards each other. And all of a sudden, this guy launches the spear and throws the spear and goes, wham, slams it, slams into the, the um, shield. And I'm like, holy cow, that could hurt somebody. Yeah, the guy staggered back pretty good, too, who took the shield. You're like, holy, holy moly. And when they, okay, the SCA people, Society for Creative Anachronisms, hit each other on the heads with sticks. The Vikings hit each other on the head with steel swords. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. And, okay, we got Vikings. All right? And they know how to do things. They know how to do things. We have a base camp in our area of mountain men. They come and they spend an entire weekend, one weekend a month, all weather, 24, you know, 12 months a year. In their completely natural camps. No. The only thing that is is non-standard, and they frown on it, is eyeglasses. Other than that, it's authentic. Down to, I mean, people who are, who have ever been in the, around the world of... Uh, like Civil War reenactors know the phrase, he's a stitch counter. He's the kind of guy who's going to say, okay, yeah, that's not the right number of stitches in that particular... Uh, in, the, in the period, authentically, they didn't, you know, make the stitches that close together or whatever. Right, you know, they call them a stitch counter. Well, these folks that I'm talking about, these mountain men, they're stitch counters, every single one of them. And they put their kits together, and they live the lifestyle. They live the lifestyle of, they literally hunt with their mountain men guns. In season, only in season, um, where it's legal, 
And I know several of these people, and they're legit. These are the kind of people you want to have around. Because these are the kind of people that make their own gunpowder. Can you make gunpowder? I can't make gunpowder. They know how. I know how. But have you ever actually made it? Only in small quantities, and I'll deny that if you ever, uh, if my <laughs> chemistry professors from the past ever ask. Did they go poof? <laughs> they might have gone poof? It might have happened, yeah. Okay. But they know how to make gunpowder with readily available materials. They know how to to turn pelts into clothing. The whole and process. dead animal into pelts, which is harder, actually. Yeah, dead animal into pelts. Not everybody knows this stuff. These are the kind of people that you don't think about prepping-wise, but are the kind of people maybe you want to know. Civil War reenactors. They know they have a lot of gear. They know how to do it. They know how what it takes to, you know. Not as impressive from not a as, prepping point of view because they're not as into the yeah day to day living sport. They were more Civil War were more provided for than say the Vikings who had to just steal everything they <laughs> the Vikings. <laughs> And uh, the Vikings are basically the place that we're in. If you're in the Long Fort or in the Long Fort area, you're either totally not in garb, which is fine if you're a civilian and you're walking, walking there, or you're in garb. And if you're in garb, again, eyeglasses are the only exception. And if you show up with a helmet that has horns on it. And you're over the age of four, so help you. Oh, they will mock you. And they won't let you in, too. Seriously, they will not yeah. let you in. If you show up with a helmet with horns on it. <laughs> but they did enjoy my Viking t-shirt, so yeah, there's that. I wasn't pretending to be a Viking. Okay. Have we wrapped it? That's the best of them, yeah. There are other groups in other areas like the uh, uh, wind sailors in places with large bodies of water. Yeah, if you need to you, know, you need to go out and fish and you don't have if you can't get a gas motor to run, you better need to, you know, sailboats. Sailors. Up, up here in Iowa, you've got the old threshers who work steam the steam power. power. Oh yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about EMP proof machinery? There you go. Got some steam power going on. We could work with them. We live in yeah. our places in coal country. Yeah, we could. Uh so, yeah, there are a variety of people who are historically interested in some of that. Not, they don't always know how to do useful things, but some of them do. So, and some of them also know some things about community models that work in the kinds of situations where you have a much less connected, much more internally self-reliant communities. And time, that's also worth learning from. Time to think outside the old box. Besides... They're interesting people. Besides, they're darn interesting people. And who knows? You could learn some of that stuff. So think outside the box, people. And um, don't wear a horned helmet to the Viking. Don't, yeah, don't wear a horned helmet don't if be you're going to the Long Fort. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye.